Hey, it's Mozzie here. I don't have much experience when it comes to rallying, but Walkinshaw Racing Services does. And they're available now for your rally needs. They can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication. No job is too big or too small. There's CNC machines, 3D printers, a chassis build shop, and paint and engine shop that you can utilize. And you don't need to be an Aussie champion or factory back to be able to. From club to state to national level competitors and car owners, let Walkinshaw Racing Services help you with your rally needs. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. Welcome to the Special Stage Rally Podcast. My name is Luke Witten, and we're going to talk rallying for yet another week. Peter Witten, how are you today? I'm going really well, thanks. Luke, how about yourself? Doing quite well, thank you. Things are moving forward as we get closer to the start of the rally season. There's been some big car announcements this week and some programs of people who we might not have expected to do the Australian Rally Championship. We'll get into that a little bit further, though. First of all, we've got to pay our respects and condolences to the two New Zealanders who tragically lost their lives in a rally sprint at the weekend. Both Brooklyn Horan and Tyson Jemmett lost their lives. So our thoughts are with their family, their friends, and the wider New Zealand rallying community of what was such a tragic accident and a horrible way to finish an event over there. Yeah, it sure was. And, um, I mean, Bro- Brooklyn was was 15 years old and he's was regarded as one of the most up-and-coming drivers in New Zealand. And um, f- from the, the people we've spoken to over there, he had WRC written all over him. So it's a, it's a tragic accident and... Uh, their car ended up in a river after um, an off-road excursion, and yeah, just a, a horrible, a horrible way for that event to end. And um, yeah, as you said, Luke, we send out our condolences to to all the New Zealand rally community. It's unfortunate times like these that really bring together a close knit community, and the New Zealand rallying group is really one that is so close knit anyway. And and an event like this, so unfortunate as it is, it brings the community together, and I'm sure everybody in that group will bind together and be able to move forward um, with Tyson and Brooklyn in their thoughts um, as the season gets underway for them. Yeah, it's going to be a tough a tough year, certainly a tough start to the year for those in New Zealand. But um, as you mentioned, Luke, um, yeah, it's a, it's a horrible thing, but um, we need to move forward and, uh, and learn from, from these sorts of accidents, and I'm, I'm sure that will happen as well. I mentioned the big car announcements that have come since our podcast came out last week. We broke the news of Harry Bates and Lewis Bates's Toyota GR Yaris Rally 2s just before the podcast came out last week. We didn't have any mention of it in the podcast, but really the two new cars, Toyota obviously doubling down on their commitment to the championship and the Neil Bates Motorsport team getting those two new cars is a great thing for the championship. And Already, one of the AP4 Yaris's is on the market. So the depth will grow from this, and it's an exciting time for the sport. It sure is, yeah. And and having those new Rally 2 cars coming to Australia, the first one to appear at Rally of Canberra in March is, uh, sorry, in early April is is fantastic for the sport. And, and as we also uh, have revealed on the website this morning, is that um, the Maguire team have got a second Skoda Fabio Evo coming. So... Both Eddie Maguire and Steve Maguire will be running Skodas this year, and that just um, increases the competitiveness of the of the field. Peter Rulo is our guest on the podcast this week. He actually drove that second Skoda that the Maguires are getting, and really, it was luck that 
had Peter competing at Rally Sweden and he talked all about that and how the process is going to happen for it to end up in Tasmania with the Maguire Motorsport team, which is really exciting. And you had some word, Peter, from Scott Petter about his new car as well? Yeah, Scott Petter's got a um, – he's got the older model Skoda coming um, and it has actually landed on the ground in Perth in Western Australia. So um, Scott's very excited about that. His car will again debut at the first round in Canberra, and, um, yeah, he's going to have a test, um, I think, the middle of March. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a wonderful season. And and as we've heard just this morning, uh, Molly Taylor has announced that she'll be doing the production cup in her Subaru WRX, and we understand it's it's only the first four rounds um, from what we um, – a couple of her events later in the year clash with the Extreme E-Series. But to have Molly back again in the Subaru with that um, traditional iconic Subaru Blue, uh, again, good news for the series. It sure is. The Australian Rally Championship is is going forward, absolutely. And those Rally 2 cars that are coming in, it's such a good platform, the Rally 2 uh, class, you could say, because all over the world there's hundreds and hundreds of cars. There's possibly even thousands of Rally 2 cars that are out there. The FIA, when they created the category almost 10 years ago, when it was initially the R5 class, they really hit the nail on the head in terms of that category. And you can compare it to the the TCR cars that are around the world and obviously competing in Australia, they're factory-built cars, but it's totally a customer program. So you can buy those cars however you want to buy them. You can buy them secondhand. You can buy them new from the Skoda factory. You can buy them new from Hyundai. You can buy them new from Toyota, who are developing their cars in Finland. So it's it's a category that anybody with the right amount of money can go and get, and it's a truly developed car, which is a step up than what the AP4 cars and the G4 cars are in Australia because you don't have to do the development yourselves. They're a world-class car already, and if you've got the skill, you can drive them at the front of the field. Absolutely, and I think with uh, with the Yaris AP4 cars that Neil Bates Motorsport have built over the last few years, they've been a wonderfully successful car clearly rally winners every time they go out. Um, but as as Harry Bates told us last week, that um, when you're using a factory car that's been built and developed by the factory, there's so much more budget going into it, and it's just going to be that little bit better than what they can produce locally. So the, the Bates boys are really looking forward to their new cars, and that uh, the, the championship-winning AP4 car is is on sale now. I think it's $300,000 or thereabouts, um, which, yeah, it's, a, and it's an expensive rally car, but... Um, for someone who has the ability, you can actually go out there and win your first event. So, um, yeah, great to see. It's funny that both Harry Bates championship winning cars are on sale at the moment. His 2019 championship winning car, who which was initially sold to Richie Dalton, is for sale as well as last year's championship winner. So it'll be interesting to see where those two cars end up. They've both got great history in the sport. Clearly, they're Australian Rally Championship winners, and hopefully they go to good good drivers and and good people who will keep them on the stages as they're intended to be. We can only hope so, that's for sure. Target Tasmania and the the wider Target group, uh, through their CEO, Mark Perry, sent out an email on Friday. They were asking for support, basically, to to save Target Tasmania. We've got an article on our website explaining a bit about that and what was included in that email. It's ahead of their coronial inquest um, to the unfortunate deaths of a number of competitors over the last few years. Peter, the Tarmac community is close and it's very well supported through a number of different people and a number of different events. And 
for an email like that to go out is a, a significant point because it's clearly a, a tough road ahead for Targa and trying to keep the event going, of which has yeah been so controversial over the last few years. It has, and the last two Target Tasmania events have been cancelled um, after being scheduled and, and starting to attract entries, as have um, the other Targa events, Targa High Country and, and Targa Great Barrier Reef. So it really is, I think, a, a tipping point at this stage for Targa Tasmania. Um, clearly, the, the rules have been set up um, to improve things and, and provide greater safety, I guess, for, for competitors. But it's difficult that we we still need to remember that motorsport is dangerous and and just recently there was a i think a, ma- a mountain bike tragedy in Tasmania where a rider was killed but um where it doesn't seem to have the same impact on in terms of um coronial inquests or or rule changes and stuff like that so sure motorsport is a lot faster and it's uh it, it's using public roads but uh as i mentioned it's a tipping point and let's just hope that um the team at Targa and Mark Perry does a fantastic job down there Let's hope they can um, get on top of all these new challenges that, that they've got and the series can return again in 2025. Totally agree on that front. It's a great event and it'd be sad to see it go um, from the calendar and, yeah, we hope everything goes well from their end. We've got a couple of tours coming up to Europe, Peter, Germany and Finland. You can book them separately. You can book them together with a bit of a saving. It's late July and early early August. The German motoring experience like none other, and and to top it off, you can do Rally Finland at the end of it. Do you want to explain a bit about that to the listeners and what they might be able to achieve? Yeah, sure. We're, we're starting in Munich and doing um, quite a few motoring museums and tours. So we're doing um, Mercedes-Benz, we're doing BMW, we're doing Audi, we're doing Porsche. Um, we're going to the Technic Auto Technology Museums in Sinsheim and Speyer, Um Doing a, visiting a couple of castles and some quite iconic um, historical cities in Germany. So that'll be a fantastic tour for our guests. And then from there, we fly to to, to Helsinki and then up into Rally Finland and um, helping to support Taylor Gill and Dan Brick on their Junior World Rally Championship experience. And obviously, watching the greatest drivers in the world in the, the Rally One hybrid cars. So if you're keen on ticking something off your bucket list, um, some motoring museums in Germany or or that Rally Finland experience that every Rally fan wants to have at some stage in their life. Um, I couldn't recommend this more highly. We did a trip to the UK last year as as part of a, a tour as well, and that went off without a hitch and a lot of different museums. We went to Goodwood, all kinds of things. It's great to be able to share that with, with like-minded people. And as you say, Peter, the bucket list of a motoring enthusiast is so long let alone a motorsport enthusiast so to go and visit germany and all the the exciting brands that are within germany like your audis and your porsches and whatnot and then to top it off with rally finland it's just a a perfect experience and and like i've spoken to you over the past little while as we're meticulously planning everything about the tour to make sure we get to all the spots we need to go to places are feeling fast and we hope to to add some more and be able to have more and more people to join us on the experience of what's pretty much an all-inclusive tour. That's right. And I think one of the um, the aspects of the tour is that we probably don't stress enough is the fact that you're, you're travelling with people who are equally passionate about motorsport or motoring like you. And to, to spend a week or two with these people um, talking about cars and motorsport and rallying and, and whatever, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really great experience and um, we find that people – set up lifelong friendships with those other guests who are on the tours. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You can choose to be a whole 
part of the group and join in and everything like that. Or you can simply do your own thing as well. There's there's whole heaps of options for you to be able to do the tour and whatever, how you want to do it. So if you want to join us, feel free to do so. All the information is on the Rally Tours section of our rallysportmag.com website. All the information's there. Send us an email if you've got any questions about it and we'd love for you to experience it at the end of July and in early August. But as we said earlier, Peter Rullo is our guest on the podcast this week. He talks about his experience at Rally Sweden, the snowy and icy rally in in northern Sweden. It was a great event for him. Unfortunately, a fuel pump failure ended his event, but he's got all sorts of stories. And I'm sure when he comes back to Australia in the next week or so, he'll be sharing those stories to all his friends, all his mates, as he catches up with them all, because the stories that come from such a rally are are just amazing. And I really enjoyed the chat with Peter. So keep listening and we'll talk to you next week. Good on you, Luke. Welcome to the Special Stage Rally Podcast to Peter Rullo. Peter, how are you from, it looks like, cold Finland from what you're wearing? Yeah, it is, mate. No, doing well. Uh, I'm over here in a place called Levy in Finland, so up the northern end. Had you been across to snowy Finland or anywhere in northern Europe before across your travels? No, it's um, it's my first journey to um, to this region, but um, it really impressed. Love loving it. And the Rally Sweden entry was a great thing for you and it was a great thing for Ben, your co-driver and all of your team who was able to go over there to to compete and experience the world championship. But you were telling me before that it wasn't exactly the reason why you were going over there initially. Did you want to share perhaps a bit of that as we as we kick it off today? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I I bought my first Porsche about a year ago yep. and um, the, uh, the salesman gave me a call and said, look, I'm about to send you an invite to a uh, – to a snow and ice driving experience and you better if you're interested you better jump in quick so this was um late last year october or november or something like that and um so the first thing i did was have a look at what motorsport events were on in europe around that time and rally sweden was on the, the week before so i um i said to alex and, and my wife tara and my and my daughter at the time right we all want to go and Everyone kind of put their hands up, but my daughter stayed at home. So my friend Nigel ended up coming along, one of our sponsors from Fleet Care. And um, anyway, the uh, it kind of expanded from from that just being a spectator at Rally Sweden to getting an opportunity to drive. Mm-hmm. That's quite remarkable. A holiday that's turned into a a huge feat in a World Rally Championship event. It wouldn't happen all that often, let's be honest. No, no, not at all. Um, I was actually, I caught up with Lane Heenan over mm-hmm. the Christmas break. We've got a small little holiday island off Perth called Rocknest. And um, I, I was on the back of Lane's boat having a beer with him. And um, he he pulled up a, an ad on uh, one of the uh, uh, websites uh, that sells rally cars and said, oh, look, there's, um, there's, a, there's a Skoda for sale in, in um, Finland. And uh, he goes, you're going to Sweden, aren't you, Pete? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, do you want to drive? And I said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it all started from there. Um, yeah. Lane gave uh, Tony a call, I think, while we're on the back of his boat, mm-hmm. um, having a beer. And, um, yeah, it all started from there. 
Yeah, Tony Gardemeister, obviously a former World Rally Championship driver in his own right. When you go across to Finland, or sorry, to Sweden, in fact, it was all new for you in terms of the snow, the conditions and everything that basically revolved around what is one of the most famous World Championship events there is. Does he give you tips from the get-go or are you trying to collate all the information that you can while you're in 40-degree Perth and all that kind of stuff before you head over to the, the snow-covered forest? Yeah, look, I did I did reach out to a couple of people that uh, I, I knew had, had driven on snow and ice before for some tips. Um, you know, m- most of them gave me, you know, similar tips. They said, look, it's it's probably grippier than you think with the studded tyres. So um, I prefer it that way, kind of, you know, building up to it than kind of being a little bit overzealous. But, um, yeah, I, after the first shakedown, I didn't actually get a chance to test the car. So my first time in the car, well, first time driving a scooter and first time driving a scooter in snow was on the uh, on the morning of the first stage, which was shakedown, um, which was a bit of a baptism of ice. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was freaking awesome. I had a smile from ear to ear by the time we got to the end. Yeah, definitely. And then once you finish that, st- that shakedown stage, there's clearly three and a half days of rallying that's still to come. And then you try and make the progression and try and get faster. What sort of role did Ben have in that? Because he's clearly an experienced co-driver. He hasn't been on snow before. But the whole aura surrounding a WRC event is a whole lot different than what we experience in Australia because the sheer scale of the World Championship event is completely different. When you're talking about Ben and Ben's experience, he would have been clearly one of the the big reasons why it was so easy for you to to get in and just focus on the driving because he's such a skillful co-driver. Yeah, one one hundred percent. You know, Ben's probably the most experienced co-driver in um, in WA, but um, you know, and probably one of the most experienced in the country. But um, you know, I didn't ask Ben first to co-drive with me. I okay. actually. Once, once I knew the drive was available, I, I, um, I think I gave it about a split second of um, thought of maybe letting Alex drive, and then I said, and I thought to myself, no, I've probably uh, Alex has got a few more years in front of me or in front of him to have an opportunity to do this. So I thought I might not get another opportunity. So I thought, yep, I'll be, I'll be driving, mm-hmm. and so I asked Alex if he'd like to co-drive, and um, I think it took him about ten seconds to work out it probably. Uh, wasn't in his skill set, so um, and we'd probably end up having a blue anyway. Yeah. But, um, no, so obviously um, Ben Ben was an easy choice. You know, once I kind of worked out all the things that we needed to put in place, and it was so quick because you know, like I said earlier, the the actual decision to to actually make this all happen only happened probably first or second week of January. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of preparation that we needed to do, and you know, at that time I didn't have an international license. So, um, uh, you know, thanks to the team at Motorsport Australia for assisting me in making that happen. And so there was a there was a whole process to make that happen. And you know, Ben was a, just a an easy choice because he already had international license in place, ready to go. Um, you know, been an international event, so he knew a lot of the you know more of the formalities um, kind of around it. It getting ready for an international event. Yeah. And you'd know your son, Alex, better than anybody. Drivers aren't usually good passengers. So are you almost glad that he didn't get in the co-driver's seat? <laughs> it, 
it was probably better for our ongoing relationship. Yes, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I think most father and sons who might get in the, the car together would have a blue, like you said, at some point. But we'll yeah. keep that going. As you say, Alex has has got his his life ahead of him to be able to try and do those experiences like you've been able to do. So his progression is is going really well as well. For you though, when you get into to Friday and Saturday, and then the unfortunate happenings of Sunday when the fuel pump failed. Do you think you're getting faster on the surface? Because you can think you can get you are going faster, but it can be quite deceptive. The speed you you think you're taking all the risks you can or all the risks that you want to, but at the end of the day, you might not be as fast as where you think you might be. So, do you did you think that progression was there for you? Yeah, look, we definitely we definitely built up a bit of confidence. Um, okay. I suppose speed wise. I think we were car number 71 um, and I think there was about 56 or so cars in the, in the field. So, um, I th- uh, you know, after the first few stages, we, um, I think we we're running kind of in the mid forties. Um, so on the second, like they, um, um, they reevaluate the car order every day in the WRC. So, you know, on the second day we, we moved up to, I don't know, I think it was 44 or something like that. So, um, we started getting up closer, you know, getting up further up the field. And then once we were up to that point, you know, at the end of a 10 or 20K stage, it was only two seconds between, you know, 40-something and mid-30s. So um, I think – I can't remember exactly what was the highest we placed, but I think it was probably mid-30s or something like that. But um, we definitely – we definitely seem to be getting faster and that, you know, commitment on some of those high-speed corners to mm. to hold it hold it pinned and um you know those those classic uh those those classic moments that you see the uh cars going through sideways in the snow at high speed um we did that a couple of times and but uh yeah now most of the time i'd try to you know hold it reasonably straight but um it was it was definitely an experience mm-hmm. you were as high as 27th overall in fact so quite quite an achievement in such a, a high class field particularly in your class which was the rally two class you mentioned sliding through the snow the snow banks are a real feature of sweden did you touch any did you cliff any a bit harder than you might think both you and the other aussie taylor gill were you know experiencing sweden for the first time but he unfortunately had the negatives of hitting a snow bank you perhaps might have hit a few and not not had the same result no no we definitely uh we definitely experienced that as well okay um, good <laughs> you had to get the whole experience didn't you let's be honest yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and no, I think Taylor just got uh, held up for a bit longer than we did. But um, no, on the first day, the the Tony's team were um, by the end of it. You know, it was it was a lot of camaraderie. But at the start, you know, after the first day, the car the car came back pretty clean, and so we were joking about you know a few things. And um, by the end of the second day, there was a fair bit of damage, especially on the front bar. And they said, "Ah, oh, now it looks like a rally car." <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's fairly different to anything I've ever experienced, especially in Australia, because you've got to use the banks to kind of you know you know lean on um, at high speed. But if you get a little bit too overzealous, um, they actually pull you in. So one yep. of the things that um, you know someone said to me before I got over here is they said, you know, if you hit the rear, if you hit the rear on the snowbank. Um, and obviously, you've got counter steering on at that point. You've got to turn out really quickly and kind of get on the gas. So 
because it kind of pulls the front into the snowbank. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have the wheels turning out um, mm -hmm. to try and get out and keep going. Um, so yes, a couple of times we did get stuck and uh, we did have a, a high-speed uh, 360 um, <laughs> when we hit a snowbank coming into a corner. But fortunately, we ended up pointing the right way and pulled a gear and kind of got out of there reasonably quickly. So we didn't lose too much time. But um, we did experience a flat on another stage as well, so we got caught by a car on, on that one. But um, you know, overall, it's just it's such an amazing experience, like just going flat out and like bouncing off things. Like if you tried to do that in Australia, you'd be um, you'd be off in the bush and be put be pulled up pretty quick. So yeah, it's a completely different experience. You sure would be. And what people who aren't really familiar with snow driving probably don't know is the fact that some of the snowbanks are rock hard and some of them aren't so if you hit a hit the rear of your car into a snowbank that's awfully soft you're going to pull that front in like you say but if you hit it with the rear and it's a solid solid snowbank that's mostly filled with ice you're going to tear a corner off the car and you don't know that visually by looking at a snowbank so it's so hard to be able to judge things and understand right where can you push and where can you run wide and all that kind of stuff in the snow Whereas here in Australia, there's no snoff, sorry, there's no soft banks that you hit. Whereas in Sweden, there could be some. Not at all. Uh, and yes, like you said, you know, um, some of them have got like built up ice. So, you know, when they clear the snow off the um, off the tracks and it kind of builds up on the on the side of the road, some of that snow turns into ice. So, yeah, some of it's like hitting rocks. Um, so it's very hard to distinguish, you know, which are the soft snow banks and, you know, which are the ones that are full of ice. And, and sometimes they actually have rocks in them. Um, so, yeah, we, like I said earlier, we, we suffered a puncture um, by hitting one snow bank. And, you know, you hit one and it feels really soft and you kind of bounce off and you don't lose too much speed. And then the next one, you, you know, you hit something fairly hard and get a puncture or rip, rip a front bar or rear bar off. So... Yes, it's very. Um, it, it's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it's it's very easy to be caught out. Very mm. easy to be caught out. But yes, Definitely. as 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 you saw with all the guys at the top of the field, you know, sometimes they were the you know sometimes a snowbank was your friend, and sometimes they were your foe. Absolutely. When you talk about tires, and you said you had a puncture during the event, the studs are a whole new thing again because it's such a, a foreign thing to us Australians when you're talking about snow rallying, you obviously lose them during a long loop of stages. So what's the, the grip like when you do start losing those studs and they start wearing and all of a sudden you don't have the grip that you really want when you're on snow? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, you know, one of the things that amazed me was, you know, doing the transport between stages. And so mm -hmm. I asked the team, I said, so, you know, what do I do? Like, how do I you know, save the, the studs. And they said, oh, you know, basically you just put one wheel into the snow um, <laughs> as, you're, as you're driving along the highways between stages. So um, that's what I was trying to do. But um, in some of the stages, um, it was very gravelly. So it was kind of like driving on a, um, like a sandy, gravelly kind of stage. I'm, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to. But um on those stages, there was like a 20-something kilometre stage and most of it was that sandy gravel. And I reckon we lost probably 60% of the studs. So during the stage, um, you know, the rest of the tyre was actually doing the work where 
um, you know, the rubber part of the tire doesn't really wear over here. Uh, it's just the studs. But yeah, on that on that sandy gravelly stage, we probably lost about yeah, sixty or so percent of the studs. More on the front and the back. Um, and what that means is, as soon as you get onto an icy stage, um, you've probably got sixty to seventy percent less grip because mm -hmm. it's the it's the studs that are kind of penetrating the ice um, to create the grip. Um, but yeah, like the snow, the snow covered stages, uh, kind of the most grippy, like the compact snow. Um, but you've got to really keep your eyes peeled to look for those icy sections. Cause as soon as you're on ice, you know, even with the studs, you've got less grip than the kind of the snow and gravel. Um, and then if you're missing studs and you get onto ice, um, you're in a bit of trouble. Yeah. You could do that high speed 360 very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, there was one night stage, I think it was the Saturday night, um, it was the first 90-degree corner after about a 400-metre straight, and um, I broke at about the same point I broke on the same stage the night before, um, and we passed the 90-degree corner and went about 50 metres um, <laughs> you know, further ahead and had to kind of reverse back up and then get back on so yeah the the differing in grip levels is um you know it, it's huge so we you know our intention was to finish the event unfortunately we didn't get to do that but um you know from the from the from day one so um you know we weren't we weren't trying to take too many risks but um yeah it was definitely um yeah, I'm sure the guys here that are really experienced, they can see and probably look for different things. They were even telling me about things they look for in the, um, in the weather reports and like when there's different temperatures, um, and some of the ice melts and, um, sorry, some of the snow melts and then can turn into ice. So they, they, you know, these guys are obviously experienced about what goes on and what to look for. So, um, we were kind of made playing it more by feel. Yeah, there's a whole different world over there with snow rallying, that's for sure. It is, it is. And the Skoda that you drove, you're almost putting it in your suitcase, aren't you, and bringing it back to Australia. The the Maguire boys, they're getting that Skoda Fabia Rally 2 Evo for the Australian Rally Championship this year, which is really exciting. And that was, I think, part of your deal to drive the car. Was that right? Or the opportunity arose to drive it. Was that true? Is that true? Yeah, well, that was the whole reason sure. um, this this opportunity happened. Um, it was kind of a win-win, both for Steve and myself. Um, so, yeah, I, um, you know, I think Steve and Eddie had spoken to Lane, you know, at the end of last year and, and asked him to look out for a, an Evo for, for them um, to match Eddie's car. And when I'd caught up with Lane um, just after Christmas, I... Um, he he mentioned that it's actually Tony Guidemaster is selling an Evo, so I I think I messaged Steve on the Friday I think something like that on the Friday and um, uh, Eddie had paid me a deposit and I had paid Tony a deposit on the Monday, so uh, <laughs> it all it all happened pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so basically I I bought the car. So I own the car at the moment, and yep. then uh, the Maguires are going to buy it, buy it off me uh, when it lands in Australia, which Fantastic. hopefully isn't 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 too far away. 
Yeah, and that'd be good for them to get some some testing time ahead of it. But what did you compare the Skoda? I know it was completely different surfaces to what you've driven the Hyundai on, but how did the yeah. two compare? And do you have a preference after, say, a season in the Hyundai and one event in the Skoda? To tell you the truth, the Skoda was pretty easy to pick up. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it could have been because I've got experience at the Hyundai now, but... Um, yeah, the guys probably spent maybe 20 minutes with me just showing me, you know, where all the uh, buttons and knobs are and what everything does. Um, but, yeah, no, I felt pretty confident in it from the, you know, after 50 metres after taking off on the shakedown, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was very, very predictable. Um, and uh, I think we only made one one tweak to it, I think, uh, at the end of the first day. Um we just put a bit more high speed and low speed into the front end in it because um, it was understeering a little. And um, after that, I don't think we touched a thing for the whole weekend, but no, very predictable. Um, the, the guys in the team were kind of sad to see it go. I think it was their last Evo because they've, uh, they've got brand new Yaris and um, the new Skoda that they're running also for, for a couple of other guys in the team. Um, and... Yeah, they were sad to see it go. They said, look, if the new Skoda engine was in this car, it'd be the best car we've got. Wow. That's that's quite a, a compliment on the car that's been sold hundreds of times over the world because I think there's well over 300 Evo Skodas that are out there. So it's a testament to what they do, the Skoda team, to, to create a car that's over so many years been such a, a great one. Yeah. Mm. They, were, they were telling me that... Um, I think the wheelbase is about 90 millimetres shorter than the new Skoda. Mm-hmm. Um, like physically seeing them side by side, the new Skoda's a much bigger car, like the bonnet's probably two or 300 mil higher than the, um, you know, the old mm-hmm. Skoda. It looks, it looks like a, a much bigger car, yeah. even though small, they're about the same weight. Yeah. Small things make a big difference. Um, yes. But you'll be back yeah. in the Hyundai, of course, for the Australian Championship this year. Is that all still going to plan with you and... Alex, to drive those two cars across all rounds this year? Yes, it is, yeah. Um, we're, we're, Alex is talking to a new sponsor at the moment, so hopefully that comes off. But, um, yeah, that is the plan. And, um, yeah, I was um, – we caught up briefly with the uh, Hyundai team over here, and I hear there's some new upgrades coming to help the Hyundais along a little bit. So, yeah, hopefully uh, it's not too far away for us. Fantastic. And you also mentioned on the social media that you've caught the WRC bug in many ways. Is that option still there or are you exploring things yet or are you just going to let things settle down and, and look back at that once the year goes on? Oh, look, I definitely want to um, you know, explore and opportunities for, I suppose, any events that we can do in our off-season um, yeah. you know, in the ARC. So, um you know, obviously, it's a no-brainer. The two close events being Monte Carlo and and Rally Sweden. If uh, you know, if we could arrange it to kind of get both of our cars over to Europe and try and do both of those two events, um, yeah, I think that would definitely be a yeah, big tick. Yeah, and just a note quickly on Alex's progression through last year. Um, as we saw throughout the whole year, he was growing and growing and growing in terms of speed and also consistency. When you're talking about going stage to stage and event to event. By the end of the season, he was comfortably setting podium stage times and being able to mix it with the guys at the front. Do you see that progression stopping 
I know you're a bit biased in the way that that you're going to talk about him, and obviously you believe in him in the way that he's going to perform this season. But do you think he's got the the ability to be able to keep going and keep pressing forward? Yeah, look, he's um, yeah, he's kind of amazed me at how quickly he's he's kind of picked it up, being his first kind of full year um, mm. in in rallying, and um, you know, like I say to a lot of people, I'm I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit that I I tried rallying so late in life, but um, yeah, Alex is pretty fortunate that he's uh, jumped in a uh, jumped in a rally car at 22. So um, yeah, and you know he's he's picked it up really quickly. So yeah, look, I think he's he can only really get better from where he is. So he's definitely got no um, no shortage of confidence. Let's say, mm-hmm. and you need confidence to be able to go fast in a in a sport that's so varying because from stage to stage you get different conditions and you've got to be able to trust your ability to be able to drive fast, as you clearly found out in Sweden, because if you've got no confidence on the snow, you're not going to be able to drive anywhere near as well as you'd hope. Yeah. Well, mm. yeah, his um, his reaction times are about 28 years better than mine, so um, <laughs> he, he should be able to hold a bit more angle. Mm, for sure. Peter, thanks so much for your time. I'll leave you to your holiday in Sweden, sorry, in Finland. I look forward to chatting to you, obviously, as the ARC season goes on and hopefully there's some more World Championship stuff as well as we keep going on in the years. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Luke. Hey, it's Mozzie here. I don't have much experience when it comes to rallying, but Walkinshaw Racing Services does. And they're available now for your rally needs. They can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication. No job is too big or too small. There's CNC machines, 3D printers, a chassis build shop and paint and engine shop that you can utilize. And you don't need to be an Aussie champion or factory back to be able to. From club to state to national level competitors and car owners, let Walkinshaw Racing Services help you with your rally needs. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.